Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Sounds Japanese Canadian to Me, Stories from the Stage. Now in this podcast series we are taking a look at Japanese Canadian actors and dancers and see how their identity has shaped their journeys and has shaped their art. Now, today I have a wonderful guest for you, Maiko Yamamoto of Theatre Replacement, who has won arguably Canada's most prestigious award in theatre, the Seminovich Prize for Directing, is, is about to share some stories from the stage. Now, I had a ton of fun with this interview. However, I will say, unfortunately, some of our recording um, got a bit skewed and compressed so especially for those who know Maiko you you may recognize her voice is just a little altered in this interview but if if you'll forgive me for that uh, we have a, a beautiful conversation a lot of thoughts and even I'm hoping to offer a, a, a taster another sampling of this interview because it was so full that I couldn't fit it all into this first podcast so if you're ready and you'll join me now, back within the Japanese-Canadian theater of the mind, within the confines between your ears, wherever you are. If you'll take your seats, prepare yourself in this digital theater space. Take a deep breath. Lights up on Maiko Yamamoto. My name is Maiko Yamamoto, and these are my stories from the stage. For my lights up, I thought about this for a while. Um, it would just be a really nice, clean, black box space that's in kind of studio mode. The chairs are all pushed back. It's quite bare, and it's just ready for a creation process to begin. So it's nothing fancy, you know, just the basics but full of, full of potential, and you're ready to walk in on that first day. That would be my lights up space. Wow. <laughs> that moment of like unbridled potential? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like before the, the moment you, you start to dig in, it's mm. just that, that room, you know, those first moments where you walk in with your collaborators or uh, if it's on your own, it's on your own. And yeah, just fresh. Super and fresh. This time it's with our audience here. Come to listen to you and, yeah. and to, to think with you in this black box space. So happy to have you and them yeah. and everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for welcome, welcoming <laughs> us in here. I, I absolutely love, to be honest with you, reading the, the mandate, the mission, and the values of theater replacement. I think it's some of the clearest and, and the most poignant ideas that I've seen a company put forward. I mean, they're so clear oh, and strong. Thank you. <laughs> That's very nice to hear. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> yeah, I think with every arts organization, you kind of have to spend the time to articulate your mission and mandate. You have to. You're kind of like you're forced to in some ways. <laughs> but we always try to look at it as an exercise of um, re-articulating what it is that we want to do what what it is we think we do and what it is we want to do mm. so i felt very lucky for all these years because <laughs> i'm not a spring chicken anymore but for all these years to be able to have a have a have a lovely house which i'm building with mm. um some core collaborators of over many years and to be able to articulate articulate visions for an artistic practice and work that that's moving forward and always mm -hmm. traveling forward in the trajectory, um, as opposed to trying to stay in one moment or try to recreate a moment over and over again. So that's kind of how I feel about when we're articulating vision statements or mandates is that sure. you're always trying to be a little bit in the future, in the future. Now, now you, say, you said an interesting phrase there, and, and let me ask you, what is it you think you do? <laughs> That's a good question. You know, for so many years, it's been so hard for me to articulate what I think I do um, or what I do because we do, it's so varied in my mind. Essentially, when we're making work, I can reduce it down to this like very simple exercise of marrying new form with content, 
that were interested in working. Like it could just be like you put a four minute content together and if those things are in harmony or sitting in the best possible relationship to each other, then usually things work. You know, they feel, they feel like they're working, quote unquote. Um, so in a very simple way, it's, it's that, you know, it's like playing with form and content and then doing my best to uh, transmit to an audience, what, whatever form that audience might be. How do you, when do you know if the marriage isn't going to work with the form oh, and the content? It's such a good question. Sometimes <laughs> it usually comes before it's massively too late. Hmm. Like, I don't think we ever get to a moment or I don't feel in the process that I ever get to a moment where I'm like, I should have given up on this form a zillion years ago. <laughs> so luckily it happens within the process and I've never had to abandon completely a form. So like form can transform. You can, you can mm. massage it a little bit. Mm. And then I think it's up to you to like check in with your integrity of, of, you know, we talked about um, one yellow rabbit and Blake Booker, but he would always say, if this makes your skin crawl, you know, mm. then, then tell me, then don't do it. And so you can tell when your spidey senses kick off and you're like, this is not going to work. And I think over the years, you kind of get better at it too. Now in doing this, in finding these marriages of content mm -hmm. and form, mm -hmm. one of the big things that, that I've read about theater replacement was to replace the normal conventions of theater. <laughs> is, is that, is that correct? Well, when we started the company, we were, we were babies. So sure, yeah. um, I think then we were really quite idealistic and we were, it was, it wasn't the idea that all other theater sucked. <laughs> we needed to replace it, but it was this idea that we kind of wanted to make something new. And we were seeing a lot of theater back then. This was like, you know, the early 2000s and, and Vancouver is quite a young city in terms of its, its art making still. We're still like maybe mid teenagehood or late teenagehood. Sure. <laughs> so, so we were, we were, we were sort of experiencing this moment where there was a lot of new ways of, of making work, new kinds of performance, more unconventional performance styles sort of coming up mm. and challenging or complimenting, however you want to see it, the more traditional forms of theater that were here. So we were kind of looking at this idea of replacement. We actually just wanted to be the, the replacements, but that's a band and, and they weren't like, <laughs> I think in order to steal a name, they have to be gone for 50 years. So that we, oh, goodness. We, we actually didn't <laughs> want to put the word theater in it because it, oh. for us, it wasn't about that. And so there was some kind of, and also I should also preface it by saying, in my conversation with Jamie, who's been my longtime collaborator for over 20 years, we are terrible at names. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like some people like come up with names. They're really good at like yeah. coming up with names for things. I, I have such a hard time. I, I struggle with the, with the um, concreteness of naming something, mm. you know, a lot of times. I always, um, I always like the, the colon approach is like, I always, yeah. always hyphen, like, here's the name and then here's the second name. <laughs> and then, and then the tagline name. That's right. And, you know? it all, and it lives together somehow. And the then finite I, names. Yeah. <laughs> so this one sort of came to the surface and in the end we just thought this is, this is feeling okay for us. This is settling in for us. Hmm. And it has become like, it's really settled into our methodology and our practice. Like, um, the, the, the tagline, the, I guess the colon or the three words that we put, you know, that surround the, our, the company name are recognize, magnify, reproduce. And that's the idea. You see something in the world that you're interested in talking about that you think would be interesting to other people. You sort of tilt your head and try to look at it in another view. You, you magnify it. You kind of make it, make it more quirky or less like straight. <laughs> you try to crooked, crooked it, you try to mm -hmm. break it up a little bit, and then you reproduce that for mm -hmm. an audience. So you put that in relationship with other people. So that kind of essential idea of like replacing theater with this other view is, is still, I think, true to when we named, when we came up with it. <laughs> and now I, I just want to paint a more full picture for our listeners, this idea of recognize, magnify, and reproduce. And as you speak of noticing something in the world and then, and then going through this process, and, and your past work, 
I mean, you take a look at the catalog and it ranges from one person head in a box storytelling to grand theatrical displays with horses to to youth to, to seniors in conversation to dance and highly theatrical and dress down conversations and and huge technical ideas and small intimate venues and, and it really does had this huge wild range outside performances of, of town criers and I mean here's my question for you as you create your work are there any limitations it's a great question I mean I think the limitations are if we don't have the the person in the room to offer the kind of perspective history experience skill set mm. add skills because for us you know even if it's just a single person on stage, the process has likely gone through a very rigorous collaborative process, like schedule, you know, like we, we make work through collaboration. Mm. It's this idea of coexistence, you know, and for us now it's about who are the right people to get in the room. So if there's any limitations beyond, I should say, the limitations that everybody else faces, like money, space, mm. Mm. time, resources, <laughs> pandemic, emergency, <Yeah>. crisis. <laughs> climate crisis, you know, but beyond those things, if we don't have the right brains and hearts in the room, then we might be limited. But you know, it, it never feels limited. Mm. Like when you assemble a group of collaborators, you pick them for a reason, right? It's like curating people, curating brains and hearts to be in the room and bodies. And then the idea is creating the space in which everybody can perform their best. That doesn't mean that everybody gets along all the time. It means that there's challenges to ideas and people are sometimes bringing oppositional ideas or things that you didn't think of into the room. And, and really it's about that. It's, it's about this, this act of collaboration. So if there's any limitations, it's usually because we don't have exactly the right brains in the room, but um, it never really feels that way. You know, it usually feels pretty rich and like we can't ever use everybody's ideas and input we're trying you know it's mm -hmm. always like this race to like incorporate the next idea that somebody had yeah I, there's a huge focus in in your work in your company on intercultural exchange and diverse histories yeah and i want to ask how your personal identity your japanese canadian history and lived experiences, ha has that fueled the, the drive to bring forth these diverse histories? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think because of the nature of the kind of work I make, so new works, generally speaking, not always script-based, like, of course, there's words in text, but that's sometimes not the first content that emerges, you know, really playing with conceptual form, autobiographical, biographical mashups, you know, because of the nature of that, you can't quite remove identity from the mix, you know, and a lot of the times we're playing some version of ourselves on stage, you know, or ourselves quite plainly on stage. So it's impossible. It's impossible to remove my identity as a person of Japanese Canadian heritage, as a woman, as a mother, mm. as, a, as a woman who is now in her 40, you know, late 40s. I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't shy away from that identity being on stage. It is a part of it, yeah. a critical part of it. I started making work this way because when I left theater school, there wasn't a lot out there. Like I wasn't, mm -hmm. I wasn't seeing a lot of really complex or challenging or interesting parts for people of color. It was sadly the era of like people were getting cast as ma the maid, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that rang the door or the person that carried a spear or whatever sadly and i think for me back then it was really important to create my own work because i didn't want to play those parts i wanted i wanted to create work for myself and for other people that felt full and not like a compromise and so that's why i started making my own work in the first place but over the years that narrative has really changed partially because things have changed in the world and are still changing and need to change also because i just maybe you know, I'm super privileged that I just get to make what I want to make in some ways, you know, I get to implement ideas that I have or find ways and find people to work with in those contexts to make it happen. And that's hard work too, but mm. it feels like a gift, you know, in mm. a lot of ways. 
I mean, I'd, I'd love to share with you that I've had a, a quite a similar journey. And speaking to quite a few actors through this podcast, um, that seems to be a bit of a running dialogue, is the practice of removing ourselves to be put into a role, to, to look at the what are the white aspects of me that I can that I can really fully embody before I enter into this role. And so as, you, as you're speaking about, it's, it's impossible to remove our identity when stepping on stage. So could you speak a little bit about the, especially that early drive, that turning away from those roles, that early in the career, what did you want to make that would allow you to be fully yourself on stage? Yeah, autobiography is always a, to some degree a part of like whatever show we make so we're rarely playing there's been a couple but we're rarely playing like another character inside of our work it's always like some version of ourselves mm. and it's usually like whatever narrative has emerged there's a way that your personal story and connection to those narratives is woven into the story so i wanted to i wanted to see I wanted to see a, a, a character, quote unquote, like myself on stage, mm -hmm. you know, that I could go, I totally relate to this person because <laughs> I wasn't seeing that, you know, in the beginning. Um, and the other thing is I grew up in a super lively household, like performance was kind of woven into my daily existence because my parents were, you know, part of a wave of Japanese immigrants that came here in the early 70s. There was a bunch of us and they all kind of oddly they lived in like the same apartment building on Pandora Street <laughs> in Vancouver and they have reunions and Aww. so when we moved in there we were like living with a bunch of other new immigrants from Japan and their children so we grew up in that community and then when we my my dad sort of we, when we made it big enough to buy a house we moved sort of out to this to the suburbs very close hmm. over to the city and that house became like <laughs> it became a place where Japanese Canadians and usually new immigrants kind of gathered on a regular basis and if you were new to town you would sleep on our couch for example Aww. for a couple of weeks till you got settled like it was really that kind of environment and I I have like vivid memories of like people singing all the time there was a lot of drama too like don't get me wrong like Japanese people you know partying and then like some kind of fight emerging and this like very <laughs> dramatic moment would happen but mostly it was just people gathering and building community and I remember like you know on the weekends kind of like people would be crashing and like stepping over them to get to the kitchen to have breakfast but my you know that community grew and it became like super strong um but it always felt like it was a performance do you know what i mean it was all there was always theater happening in my house and then the other thing is is that all the narratives of my childhood like the narratives growing up they weren't the eurocentric narratives that were you know that sort of come through they were really like based on japanese folk tales and stories from my parents lives you know and if you know japanese folk tales at all there's like an element of surrealism, like, mm. you know, and, and I think Japanese people, you have this kind of closeness to surreal narratives. And if you look, at, you look at the work of like Hayao Miyazaki and stories like that. There's a lot of weird, yeah. <laughs> surreal yeah. qualities that, that I grew up with. And so I, and I understood narrative in a different way. I, I thought about those things and they sort of infiltrated my imagination. And so when I wanted to make work, the stories that I was seeing where they were the maid or the spear chucker, they didn't have that element in them. They were told in a really like, um, you know, three act structure, rising action kind of, kind of way. That was logically sort of what, and in theater school, we learned that too. Like those are the kinds of, that's a good arc of a story. And I, I kind of, in my own way when when making work have really tried to um not combat that but really kind of follow my own nose inside mm. of how stories can unfold mm. um and so i think this really gave me the opportunity to do that as well so it was like a combination of like growing up in a super wild dramatic household um understanding different understandings of story and then um 
the kind of work that I wanted to make, you know, and move into. That's so that exciting. That was a long answer. No, that's, oh, I <laughs> mean, I, long... <laughs> maybe in our workshop space with our audience here, we'll have, we'll have some people laying down and sleeping and other people can tiptoe through. That's great. And that's make cereal in the morning. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But then there's some kind of spiritual question that, that arises and, I love that. And I love the idea of n not only that these roles don't reflect not only your story, but your capabilities uh, of where you can go and what you can do mm -hmm. and, and the narratives that are possible that aren't just your classic A to B, denouement, rising action, meow, meow, meow. Yeah, meow, meow, meow. I mean, now I, it's, it's weird because now I'm really into this idea of pushing pushing as far as I can into weirdness <laughs> but I and it's sometimes really successful meanderings and curiosities and sometimes it doesn't work at all it's more like I can't quite see where you're going with this and sometimes uh, I can't quite see it but I'm reaching for it you know wow I mean that sounds like uh, the way Miyazaki would approach his films without an ending in mind yeah, and like when he gets to a certain spot, that's when he decides what's got to happen next. Almost, I I can't. I, and endings are the hardest, aren't they? Endings are endings, so hard. Endings are so hard, and sometimes, wow. rarely, you know the ending before you know anything else, and you're just trying to work towards the ending. How many? <laughs> They're uh, so difficult. I mean, you've probably I don't know how many works have you created now? Thirty, forty, fifty, oh, something like that. I mean, I honestly don't count. Because it makes me feel so old. But I, <laughs> no, I ha I don't count. I, I I've been I feel so lucky. I've you know I've really when I was a young theater maker just starting out, I remember like writing down in my book the next idea for a work, and then getting there, and then being like, oh, I got there because I really believe that your next idea came from the process that you were in, mm. and it was happening. It was like. Mm. Even if they were really unrelated, I was like inside of a process and then I would come up with another idea and I'd move towards that idea and then that idea would happen. And so I foolishly believe that like every process, every idea leads to the next idea, leads to the next idea and it's all connected. It's all connected in the spider web. Um, no, and now why course, would you say that that's foolish? Well, I don't know if it's foolish. It might be a bit naive. I, I think I wanted it to be like that. Do you know what I mean? In the perfect kind of line that it, and, and that it made sense and I could feel that and, and, I, and I was so sure and certain. And then that chain broke a little bit, you know, as I got more and, and things got harder to see, you know, the path got kind of harder to see and then amazing things happened because the path was broken. So, and, and arguably someone would say, Oh, but it was all connected. You just, you know, you just sort of didn't see it at the time. Sure. But I think, I think there's, there's good things happen when you change course, you know, when you, when you move your attention in a yeah. different way. Okay. I've got to ask you now first, okay. what broke the chain? <laughs> oh gosh. I, I don't even, I don't remember. No? I mean, okay. I'm trying to think of one in particular. I don't, you know, it's, it's, it could be that I just, didn't have the next project. I didn't have the thought for the next project. And then the next project occurred and I said, okay, um, I'm going to, I'm going to do this now. I'm just going to, it doesn't feel connected, but I'm just going to turn and, mm -hmm. and, and at the time it feels like you're charting a new course, but it's always your course that you're on. But it could have been like, for example, since we've talked about one yellow rabbit a little bit and the amazing Blake Booker, we worked with Blake <laughs> on a show that was really, um, for the first time we worked with a playwright too, we worked with our dear colleague and friend, Greg MacArthur, who's brilliant. And, and so we brought him in and he worked with us and we started out really collaboratively, but in the end, he took care of the words. So he wrote a script, he wrote a play and it was a fiction mostly. And so for me, that felt like a real break. Like suddenly I'm playing a character sort of mm. that gets revealed to be another version of myself at the end. Um, and I'm saying words that I have to say properly and, you know, and that have really been chosen carefully and that have been crafted. Mm. Um, and so that process felt really different and it, and it came at the, it came at the right time, you know, for both, I think, Jamie, my artistic partner and I, um, to be chewing on a break, you know? Mm. Yeah. And then I, beautiful. Uh, my, my next <laughs> question then becomes, 
you said a lot of amazing things happened when the break occurred. Mm -hmm. What were some of those amazing things? Well, I think it just allows you to stretch and grow a little bit as an artist. Figure that. Um, it, it allows you, it might not feel like growth, but it, it does take you and it, 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 it offers you new ways of thinking, new skill sets that you didn't know you had. That show reminded me why I was doing what I was doing. And it allows you a bit of a, a different view. You're on a different peak of a mountain and you're looking at something in a really new way, you know? Yeah. And that, that, that pushes you, it pushes you. Mm. Now, you've spoken a few times about finding roles that, that you can fully embody, to bring yourself fully to, or even in this new uh, uh, broken chain kind of way that, that the character becomes you. My question is, how do you dig into that and, and honor that while keeping yourself safe at the same time? Yeah, this is a good question, because I think in any work where you're working with personal material, uh, family history or like some kind of thing. Don't use material that is unsafe for you. Sometimes you can't tell these things, but it's always prefaced by like, there's a conversation around what, what material is ready? What material mm. is ready to be used? Because in the course of making theater, as, you, as we all know, if you make new work and you make new work about your life or about yourself or about your family history, um, there's, a, there's a point where there's, there's, there's edges, right? Where you're like, that's not okay. That's not okay to talk about this in that way because it's about my grandma <laughs> and I don't want to speak for her in that way or I don't want to like take this narrative and blur it between, the, between what's needed to make the show the best it can be and between the actual truth of the story, right? So, so or if there's something that's a bit traumatic, I always say, what, let's have a conversation about what material is is safe to use and sometimes you don't know and you start using a silly story a silly family story from your past that starts poking at different things or digging up things always i reiterate you got to know you got to say something you've got to like articulate that this doesn't feel right and i've been so um amazed by when people say i this is not okay you know and it's it's never a disaster because Sometimes it becomes part of the narrative that it's not okay. The absence of material sometimes becomes so powerful, you know, and tells a broader story in a way better way than, than if that material had been there, you know? Mm. So for me, safety is a huge thing, but I also encourage people to take care of themselves inside of a process, especially if they're using harder material. Yeah, Th that empowerment of, of the ability yeah. to, to recognize for the self. Yeah, yeah, mm. what's happening for you, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, now, now, you've worked with such an incredibly diverse range of, of collaborators and people in your projects. Is there any collaborator that really has surprised you in terms of being <laughs> like, oh, it might be difficult to work with this demographic that turns out to be so rich and exciting. Oh yeah, well, I mean, I think first off working with family members, cause I've done a show with my dad and then I made a show with my son. Nice. Um, and, and my mother was kind of peripherally involved in the one about my dad. You know, they always, this is always so surprising. They're not performers. To see them in the in that context is is mind-boggling. Like I can't know them in the way that I want to know them because I want to know them like a friend or I want to know them like, do you know what I mean? I want to know them professionally. <laughs> but that's impossible because they're my parents and and I I know them the way I know them because it's mm -hmm. so connected. And um, same thing with my my son. So that's always surprising. And, and I do think there's different challenges involved there. Like with my son, how am I going to, like, how is it going to be in the room? Is that going to be hard? Is it hard? Is it going to be hard for me to be a director and a creator and a mom at the same time? And so the, the times when that has like vibrated against each other um, and been hard, I've, I've, I felt very much like a parent, you know, the frustration of a parent when they felt really, really good. I felt like a director 
you know, I felt oh, like, oh, I, yeah, it's really. And, and then when the whole thing comes together and you just watch, I watch him on stage, you know, doing what he's doing. There's a great pride that, you know, like there's a pride as a mother and a director that sort of comes together. And that's, it, it, it has felt quite overwhelming by times. Like, but there's been like, we've worked with youth a lot. That's challenging. <laughs> you know, to get them to a place where they were sitting in the pocket of the, of the scene or the moment, it doesn't work the same way with, with mm. youth, you know, mm. you have to find different strategies. So that was challenging. We, you said we did a project with, um, with senior citizens and that one, that wasn't challenging, but it was super surprising. It was super surprising in, in um, delightful ways. We talked all about the movies that changed us and for them to talk talk about those experiences was really cool. It was really cool to be in the room with them. It's like that form and content thing. If the if the demographic or the group is is right because of the form and the content, then you're doing whatever you can to make them mm. feel um, yeah, like they can operate the best they can. Just because you're not a performer, it doesn't mean your skills. Uh, and perspectives you're here because for for those particular skills and perspectives mm. so everybody's sort of operating from the same way it's not like you're not a performer so you're gonna get <laughs> talked to in this way and usually usually that works out really nice because people want to connect you know mm-hmm. with different perspectives Okay, I, I feel like, I mean, I'm going to play provocateur for a moment here. Okay, um, do it. Because I feel like there's a, there's a powder keg ready, and I'm just going to bring this little match near it and see what happens. What would you say regarding the hierarchy of professional theater and community theater? Oh, professional theater and community theater, the hierarchy of that. I think if, you, if you're working on something and you're pouring yourself into it, call it whatever you want like what does community mean I think everything is community theater in some ways but like I guess there's a distinction that people without say quote unquote training in an institution or they're not getting a grant from the government or you know what I mean like I I think it's up to up to those groups to define it for themselves like when they're inside their group they're living it fully and it's it's real to them and that's totally legit and mm-hmm. wonderful and when we're working it's the same way our the way we define our community um i don't know if i see the lines so so set you know mm-hmm. you know it feels like a lot of your work has been able to diffuse that that line of of bias perhaps of, of your collaborators and it seems like whatever the project is really calling for really earnestly asks for certain voices to be in the room. Yeah, I think that's what it is exactly and why it was so hard for me to answer that question about what did you do <laughs> because the projects change, you know, with what they need. Even the process can alter or they just change with everything. The people in the room change. So it's it's very varied, so it's really hard to pinpoint and say, I do this, or could, I, you know. Could you speak to me about the practice of listening to what a project needs? Well, I think it's that dance between form and content. So, you know, the, pra- the practice is really about make, making material based on some kind of content and then really watching if you have a form beforehand, um, really watching for how the form wants to behave inside of it and what makes for the best moments. Um, The show I made with my son used Minecraft as a theatrical form um, to explore stories about mothers and sons. And it was really originated from a very personal experience I was having with him around conflict around video games (laughs) and his screen time yeah screen time yeah but um and and my like concern about that and the fights we were having at home and this rift that was kind of dividing us and so the form became really clear like the form was really clear but it kept it kept shifting because we kept getting better i kept getting better at playing minecraft and the collaborators kept getting better at playing it (laughs) 
and it became kind of limitless the things that you could make and then the content was mother son the mm. the story the connection between mothers and sons mm. um so we so inside of that context it was it was very clear about how those two things were growing up together you know as a physical performer myself mm-hmm. you spoke about a couple times you used the word dance it's a dance between the form and content yeah what does that dance look like <laughs> um it's a little bit about throwing stuff at the walls and we have little tools that we use all the time you know like little exercises to generate text that are playful and fun and then we record those exercises and then we transcribe them and we look at what's being said and we try to shape it and then we might have some other thing happening like for example the creation of physical material then the whole um the dance is about like trying to figure out what material might layer on top of each other there's there's also material that cre- gets created that you're like that's a keeper that's a singular thing that's just going to exist that's actually the opening right that's very simple thing and then we start to take this bit of text that we made talking about trying to tell the story of Blade Runner, right? Let's just use another <laughs> example. Someone make this show um, out there in the world. But we, we have some people have not seen Blade Runner because they're too young, but they're telling the story of what they think the movie Blade Runner is about. And we take that and we put that on top of, you know, a gesture sequence that we've made off of bike couriers or something like this. You know, like so you mash those two things up together and they start speaking to each other in really interesting ways. Um, because they're made from two different things and it's the slicing together that's actually super interesting and creating like the energy that you need um and it's finding out where that material might sit in the grand scheme of things you know so Mm. the dance is all about like uh trying to put things together in interesting ways um (laughs) i've heard you say very crafty <laughs> it's like pot, you know. It's like pottery, or it's like, ah. but it is. It, it it does feel very much like, yeah, like like putting putting things together, you know, mm. and and trying to see if there's any if there's anything there. I mean, as a choreographer, that delights me. That that is the the idea of dance is is this whole continual overlapping and trial of different materials together, it's, just seeing what happens. You yeah, know? curiosity in that. Very big, deep curiosity. And when the form and content are the right, uh, the right dance partners, um, it's great. You're, great. <laughs> you've got it. You've got a, you've got a show. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> that sounds so easy because we all know that it's so much harder than that. But yeah, essentially. But then at this point in in your career, it feels like, I mean, it's easier now, isn't it? It is. I mean, I think the thing is, I, I used to, when I was a younger. Um, artist I used to get really like the hairs would go up on the back of my neck when I would think I was relying so much on instinct also maybe because it's such a like a stereotypical female idea instinct you know you're Mm. um it has to be about something else you know some kind of theoretical angle or like an angle that's legitimizing it somehow and then I had a certain point, I was having a conversation with a, a colleague of mine who's a woman and an am- amazing maker of new work. And we were talking about the power of, of, this, of your instinct now. Like now my instinct is a, is a honed tool that I, I really rely upon more than anything maybe is like this, this instinct of when something is working together, you know? But yeah, mm. instinct is a, is a tool. Is that another example of how, I mean, the classical form was in a way very linear, very masculine, very, these are, this is what we're doing and this is why. Is, is, was that another response of trying to replace that form? Is this- yeah, maybe. I mean, I never thought of it that way, but now that you're saying it, it's, that's cool. I like that. <laughs> I like that idea. Yeah, it could be. It could be you know, who knows, because I can only be inside of my (laughs) life and sort of follow it along. But that's probably true Mm. in some way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You can only be inside your life. (laughs) I can only see things from my, you know, my perspective. I constantly in a conversation about like, what other people's experiences might be. I think that's 
a lot the work of the director, right? When you think about that idea of taking care of your audience, it's you're, you're putting yourself in, you're trying to see things from other people's perspectives and, and cover all the bases. So you're, you're taking care of your audience in a way too. Mm. What is that practice of covering all the bases? Oh gosh. That, I mean, that was a that, really. It's not, I don't think I do it all the time, but I try, like I try to, and sometimes it's not about covering bases, quite frankly. Sometimes it's the work says, no, it's okay to be covering this base. This space mm. is enough to cover and that's that's all we're going to cover because mm. it's super important you know now uh you've i mean you started as as in a way quite purposefully on the fringes purposefully mm -hmm. perhaps uh a bit a, a bit punk rock a bit like <laughs> uh, oh thank you that's cool was that is that not true well, yeah, no, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I aspire to be like a little punk rock. The fact that you're saying that I'm going to, I'm going to live off that for days. Oh maybe yeah. Weeks even. I mean, but, from the yeah. outside, that's what it looks like you've done. Yeah. I um, think, I think a word that Jamie and I like to use a lot, maybe not always when we're describing ourselves, but often is like outlier, you know, uh, like this kind of, we were, we were really trying to find new ways hmm. of speaking. There's, there's something when you know that you want to kind of, you like being on the outskirts. It's a, it's it's kind of a nice place to be. It and and it feels it can feel very powerful there, mm. especially when you're thinking about you know all the all the different contexts that that you move through um, as an artist and myself as a as a woman of color, an artist of color. It it was a better place for me to sit. You know, it was a better place for me mm. to speak from. Mm. And it, it feels to me that now going from this idea of being the outlier, you've, you've moved into a place of, of being qu quite a solid point on the theatrical world across Canada. I mean, you've been recognized with Canada's most prestigious <laughs> prize. I mean, I mean, from my point of view, you've, you've migrated where the outskirts are because of your the success that you've felt not only in terms of recognition but in terms of the the community building aspects the artistic possibilities that you've presented does it feel like you've shifted where the outskirts are that is super kind and generous for you to say um have i shifted i mean i, I would love to think that that's um, but I think I, it's it's not been a singular effort. I mean, I, I feel like as I've grown up in this community, and I'm not just speaking about the local community here, but I feel like a more national community, it's been shifting. Um, whether that was myself grabbing footholds or other people grabbing footholds that I could then step into, it's shifting because the ideas of performance, the ideas of theater, how you make them, what the dominant stories are, what centered stories are, centered ways of expressing these stories, that is all shifting too, because it has to, right? Like we have to keep evolving. We can't just keep doing the same things. Um, you need we to respond. Replace. We respond. We got to replace. replace. Yeah. <laughs> respond. Maybe we should change our new, respond. No, respond. Recognize, yeah. magnify. Respond. <laughs> no, but it is, in one way, I see the change, and then in other ways, I'm just inside of it, you know, mm. and I'm following, I, I, I'm following as best I can, mm. you know, the, tra the trajectory that I'm on and trying okay. to help others also like be on that path and, and follow it for themselves, you know. When you say you've seen, you've seen the change from within, what does that mm -hmm. look like to you? I mean, it just looks like more um, possibility for other ways of, of stories to be told, other, other forms of narrative. It's like culture is moving. Do you know what I mean? This idea of culture is moving. It's not so, it's not so centered around one idea. It's really mm. broadening and opening up. It's like a constellation mm. as opposed to a sun, you know? And I, I, there, I, uh, sorry, I can't help it. I just like that's I got good. goosebumps. That was good. But do you know what I mean? And 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 so I feel like there's a lot of different shining things out there. There's a lot of different shiny things that are drawing our attention, mm. as opposed to just one sort of idea of how 
stories are told or one voice or, you know. Now you spoke a little bit about um, both making and finding footholds to kind of, as, as you moved through this progression, whose footholds do you feel that you've stepped into? Oh boy. Um, well, I have to say first and foremost, like it's been really great to have a, a single artistic partner that, you know, you've grown up with. So like, Jamie is someone who I definitely would say has created footholds for me and that I've stepped in and we've done that for each other, you know, in a really important way to acknowledge. And then other people that I think I've learned from, it's such, you know, every collaborator I've had the chance to work with in a room who has shared, you know, time with me and created or took a big risk. Like, so all of those people that have stepped into that process, but more specifically, I grew up learning about companies and how to run a company from um, Norman Armour here in Vancouver, who's a huge, was a huge mentor of mine. My teachers in theater school, like Mark Diamond and Penelope Stella in particular. Um, I also interned with the amazing Marie Clements, who started a company here in town called Urban Inc. She was a huge mentor of mine. We worked together in starting her company. I started my own company. I mean, there's so many people, there's so many people that I feel so lucky to have worked with. People like Sarah, there's a dancer called Sarah Chase, who I collaborated with, who's had a huge influence. She directed the show I did with my dad, mm. um, huge influence. But yeah, there's, there's, there's so many, there's too many people to name. <laughs> it's like a huge movement of you all, all pulling it's together. It's so big, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's just, and I wish I could say all of their names because they're super important. But um, yeah, like anything, I, I I treasure and honor those those people and the experiences mm. I've had with them. Hmm. Now, a bit of a, a shift and a question for you is, is, is in this attempt to genuinely coexist um, mm. and, and reflect upon um, what is out there, how has the Black Lives Matter movement and, and the idea of representation in the arts. Um, how does that live in your artistic world right now? I mean, it's, I think what's happened is it's, it's amplified right now. It's really um, moved to, you know, to the forefront, but the ideas that are around Black Lives Matter have always been important. I mean, I think co in that way, coexistence is, is super important and I understand I really get like I was thinking about this idea that people also need to be within their own um, cultural groups right now to feel that power and to let it like really really soak up in it and to give them strength right now um, but I also think it's important to be in conversation with across cultures across mm -hmm. groups so that we feel like that information is is feeding back into a broader world in context. And that's what our work really tries to do. Like how you define culture is up to you. Like a culture can be, <laughs> you know, I can say speak really specifically be about Japanese culture. And when I feel inside of that pocket, I can also speak about when Jamie and I are collaborating together and that his culture and my culture, our identities are mixing, are coming together. Um, but I think, yeah, like it is a time for people to feel like they can gather strength, learn what they can, you know, change, <laughs> change, which is not easy, you know, change, learn, grow, and then to, to throw that, you mm. know, out and have it affect other people too. Mm. It's super important. Like speaking about your, your Japanese Canadian culture, What's something you'd say to a Japanese Canadian group right now that wants to be recognizing, as you spoke about earlier, that our storylines are often quite different than the dominant group? Mm -hmm. How would you empower those voices right now? I don't know. I think I would just encourage them to be in a conversation about it that it that feels really authentic to themselves, and mm -hmm. you know. A lot of the times we use rhetoric or we use theory or we use other references to help anchor our feelings and our thoughts. And we speak through the words of others or because it, it can, it's, it's often a great thing to feel like you're not alone in the world, that other people are having similar feelings or someone's nailed it. 
quite frankly, someone else has said it better than you could. Yeah. And you're like, I'm going to quote Beyonce right here because she's, she's <laughs> killing it. She's doing it for me. Or Michelle Obama. I'm obsessed with Michelle Obama's podcast right now. But um, <laughs> I think just to, to have an ongoing conversation, try to get to how you are really feeling inside of it. Learning from other people, but don't speak through other people, you know, like really try to find how you are feeling yourself. Cause I think that'll be the truest way that you can respond to it. I think, I think, I believe that your the way to move forward will become clear in that way. I was going to ask you the same question about artists, but it seems like that, that <laughs> response is, is... I, I think it's, I hope so. Let's just say that for, for every, <laughs> every animals too. <laughs> oh. No, just kidding. Animals, animals are on their own plane of existence altogether. Well, that's another conversation for another <laughs> podcast. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, this has been wonderful. Um, I suggest really great to talk to you too. I, I super enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. Michael, that sounds, that sounds great. And it also sounds Japanese Canadian to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So there you have it, part one of this conversation with Maiko Yamamoto. Sounds Japanese-Canadian to Me is produced by the National Nikkei Museum and Cultural Center. I want to say a huge thanks to Maiko Yamamoto for these thoughts and uh, allowing me to uh, uh, distribute this imperfect version of her voice and these ideas that live within it. My name is Kunji Ikeda, and it truly is an honor to host this podcast and to speak with artists like Maiko. If you're interested in learning more about Maiko's work, you can head to theaterreplacement.org. And if you're interested in my work, you can head on over to cloudsway.ca. Now, I would be honored if you uh, could rate and subscribe to upcoming episodes or, or share with someone who may enjoy some ideas, some stories from the stage. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.